leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. Stories that uh, we feel are interesting that may not have sat on the front page of the news but still offer us value in how we shift the lens on our world as well. So Professor Lisa Thompson is a political economist and full professor in the School of Government at the University of the Western Cape, South Africa. And this week they looked at the concept of um, South-South cooperation with the, the topic of Chinese investments in Brazil and South Africa. And I think that what's interesting about it is it starts to raise the question of what we mean by the global South and the global North and how a multi world can, or polarity world, I suppose one could call it, could really be addressed. Dr. Thompson, or Prof. Thompson, apologies, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Prof, let's start with uh, the simplification, if we can, and uh, to understand the difference between what is considered to be the global north and what is considered to be the global south, because it is terminology that's been going around for a long time and has not actually been really, really focused on in South Africa until uh, we've heard it uh, here at the BRICS conference. Yes, that's a, it's a very, very a good question to raise and one that I think is very important for our, our general public to have a better understanding of. The notion of the global south as it's defined or has been increasingly redefined through BRICS, uh, the, the BRICS summit that we've just had now being a very good example of how this is used, refers to a geostrategic realignment in the a global political economy, with China emerging as the leader of both BRICS and also FOCAC, which is the Forum on China and Africa Cooperation. And this, uh, as I said, geostrategic redefinition of Global South puts China and Russia as, again, two major powers as part of that bloc. And the strength of the bloc economically, even before the six countries were added this week, is said to balance the global north, which of course is the historically understood as the north of the United Nation, United States, and of course um, its dominance in the United Nations, um, together with the European Union. So that is the understanding now. When global south and global north are used, they're used to refer to those blocks which are more, as I said, geostrategic than. Uh, geographically defined as the North and South. You know, the, I always think about that original acronym BRIC, um, which was coined whew, 20 years ago, possibly, Correct. Um, by, by the Goldman Sachs economist Jim O'Neill. But what always strikes me is I wonder if when he came up with that term, if he felt or knew or sensed or imagined, and imagined is probably the best word, that the term would become something as structural as it has become? I, I, I really think that's a good question in the sense that I don't think he was thinking that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time, at the time, it was referring to them, to the four, especially India um, and China at that time, who we were growing at, at really, um, you know, rates which I think any African country would dream of, of you know, GDP mm. at that stage. We're talking uh, 8 to 10 to 12% uh, increases in GDP per year. Um, and so the, the term emerging economy was to describe these rapidly growing economies. 
And it was very distinct to the time because after that we had the 2008 crash and then BRICS redefined itself then um, more also in terms of solidarity around the, the, the economic chaos that had been created by the North in 2008. And that was when South Africa joined. And now, of course, when we come to the term emerging economy with the inclusion of the six countries, which we still don't really understand what that is going to amount mm. to in terms of full membership. But nonetheless, when we look at that term emerging economy, uh, even before they were added, there's some questions raised um, specifically about South Africa because our economy has been stagnating mm. um, over COVID. To what extent do we really qualify as, as an emerging economy within the bloc? And so we also see, and that's come out very much this year, that South Africa's role in BRICS is largely a symbolic one. And yeah. it's very, very, very strategic in terms of our, our placement in Africa. And that really is where uh, President Ramaphosa has gained a lot of strength as uh, a leader within BRICS over the last while uh, in terms of that solidarity within BRICS. Um, and we've seen it in very uncomfortable ways as well with the situation in the Ukraine where yeah, uh, Ramaphosa... Yeah. Yes, exactly. So um, it raises also... So if we divide it into what does... South Africa get out of BRICS economically and what do we get out of it geostrategically? Um, there are big questions now about the geostrategic gains uh, with mm. the countries that have been added, uh, especially if you think about the, the democratic deficit, which has already been highlighted as a big issue in BRICS. And when we look at the reconfiguration, we see an even greater democratic deficit, yeah. which is going to put countries like uh, particularly South Africa and Brazil, um, in very uncomfortable positions going forward. You know, it was, it's interesting that you raised that because I was thinking about how O'Neill, when he came up with the term brick, was, was thinking so much around economic growth. And exactly. yet, as you say, it's become, BRICS has become a geopolitical um, uh, platform, if you want to call it that. And, and it does seem to me that that, that we're going to have to be very strong in terms of the kinds of debates and discussions as South Africa that we want to have, given our own constitutional beliefs. Precisely. There's going to be a, a very, very big emphasis now on the, being strategic about what sort of engagements yeah. we uh, we take on, how we position ourselves in the in the in this new configuration. And um, it's interesting because, as you know, my colleague, Professor uh, Anna Garcia from the BRICS Policy Center was here this week. Yes. And we've been debating the, the, you know, the huge footprint, economic footprint that China has in South Africa and in Brazil. And, uh, and I mean, this, it is, it's, it's exponential, the, the, the expansion of these links, but in, in all spheres of our econ economy. And now with this, um, the, the, the new members, there's a feeling, well, particularly on the Brazilian side, the press there um, are very much of the opinion that this expansion is not a good thing mm. for Brazil, India, and China, for the what, what used to be called the or IPSA countries. So China's not very fond of IPSA, um, and uh, particularly because of the Indian prominence in IPSA. Yeah. Um, but the feeling is that we have actually given away uh, the, the, the IPSA countries 
our strategic power in BRICS by this expansion, that this expansion is a Chinese agenda and it's not in the direction of of um, economic solidarity in the BRICS. It's more about China's positioning itself as the new uh, global hegemon in yeah. the the global system. So it has less to do with the, 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 the common interests of the five and more to do with China's growing strength in the bloc to actually shape the course of the, of the bloc going forward. Prof. Lisa Thompson, I'm so disappointed we have to leave it there. We need to go to the news and I wanted to talk to you about India and I think you've named it with the IPSA countries as well. So uh, perhaps this is something we can pick up again at a later stage. Prof. Thompson, political economist at the School of Government at the University of the Western Cape. Eight o'clock, time for the news. Good morning.